Would you pray with me? Lord, would you help us this morning to be changed by your word? Would you meet us as we worship you? Would you give us a right response to the revealing that you are unfolding in our presence? God, help us this morning as we seek to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. I feel like I'm always with you, but this one's a little different. One time, I was out for a run. Believe it or not, I run sometimes, and not just when the hot sign is on. I run, and I was out for a run with a friend of mine from EBF. And we were running, and we stopped for water. And he said, look at this beautiful fountain. And sure enough, there was a brand new fountain by the lake, And around this fountain were gorgeous benches in a circle, and you could see Lake Michigan and the beautiful fountain all at once. And he said to me, that right there, those are DTR benches. What? I said, excuse me? DTR benches? He's like, yeah, I know a DTR bench when I see one, and those are DTR benches. Dude, what are you talking about? He said, that's where you have the DTR conversation. Now, if you're uninitiated like I was, DTR stands for define the relationship. Define the relationship. So this is the conversation you have when you're kind of, sort of, not really a little bit seeing someone, and you're not sure if you're a thing or if you're not a thing, an item, romantically involved, whatever. You got you to gotta get away from the tiny bubbles of the pool you're swimming in, you know, and, and define that relationship. And so a DTR sets some ground rules. It gives everybody a better idea of what's actually going on. So it might happen like this. Somebody's going away for a summer project for crew. And you sit down, the fountain, the lake. So I'm going to call you twice a month, text you every day. I'll Snapchat you 60 times a day. <laughs> right? It's, it, it, it's, it's the beginning of a long and beautiful relationship. Or in my case, so many times in high school... You go home alone and sad. But, and as an aside, man, if you need a DTR location, I can help. I know a great location. I can help. <laughs> so today we dive right into our Ten Commandments sermon series. Last week, Dr. Ben gave us this amazing overview of what we should expect. And today, I'm preaching on the first commandment or the first Word from God to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20. And consequently, in Exodus 20, God is about to have a DTR conversation with Moses and the Israelites. If you're anything like me, the Ten Commandments are a little weird. It's like a checklist. You do this, do that. And you're a Christian, right? It's like, it's like doing a bicycle tune-up or shopping at Trader Joe's. You got your list, and you check them all off, and you go home, and you think to yourself sometimes, if I can just do these ten things, then I'm a good Christian. If I can just check off these ten boxes, then I, I will be fulfilled, and I can move on with my life. And I want to tell you that if that's you this morning, you're going to be very disappointed with this sermon series. I predict you're going to hate it. If you're the bike mechanic Christian, if you're the Trader Joe's shopper Christian, with your checklist and your pen, this series is going to frustrate you. It's going to leave you exhausted and sad and disappointed, maybe even angry, probably at at me. 
If you see the Ten Commandments, these ten words from God as a simple list of do's and don'ts, this series is going to wear you out. And here's why. God is not super interested in changing your behavior. I'll qualify that in a minute. God isn't only interested in changing your behavior. God isn't only interested in your obedience. God is interested in you and in changing you and in giving you not new behaviors, but a new heart. God is interested in making you an entirely new person. He wants to blow you up and see you reborn, alive to him and filled with hope. God wants to put his money where his mouth is and give you a new heart, and that new heart desires to obey. God wants to see your life transformed. And as a result, he wants to see your transformed actions. And it all starts by having a relationship with God. One that is about to get a serious DTR. So that's why I don't want you to miss the power in in the first commandment, okay? So we're at commandment number one. We just heard all ten. And we're going to go back in just a second. But but there's, there's power here. The first commandment is, is the basis for true obedience. If you're a note taker, you can write that down. The first commandment is the basis for true obedience. Listen again. Exodus 20, 1 through 3. Today's passage. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. This is the first commandment. And, and actually, it's, it's the summary commandment. It's, it's the anchor of the ship, right? It's like the cornerstone keeping the structure together. If we'd miss the first commandment and get the other nine commandments, then you end up in legalism and behavior modification, and you're left wanting. In fact, if you seek to obey God for any reason other than response to his holy splendor, you're going to find yourself wanting. But God wants exclusivity with us. God wants to be the only one on the throne of our hearts. And that is the precedent by which we can obey all of God's commandments. By zeroing in on the first commandment, with our hearts turned to worship an almighty God, we are able to finally, joyfully pursue holiness as we obey God. Without the first commandment, You're just rearranging the deck chairs on a sinking ship. Wow. Looks great, doesn't it? So great, splash. Great, splash. Water everywhere. Listen to this, all right? From Matthew chapter 22. I I love these exchanges. So in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees approach Jesus, and they want to ask him a gotcha question. They're always after him. They're always duking it out. And before you write off the Pharisees, just remember, they're affluent, religious, um, they think they know better than God. So 
they went to Northwestern, it sounds like. <laughs> Maybe seminary. Oh, ouch. Yeah, definitely not moody. They're pursuing higher education, and they're about to flaunt their muscles before Jesus. So they go to him in Matthew 22, 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And I love it when Jesus doesn't answer the question. (laughs) And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is amazing, right? It's the Old Testament commandments summarized in a New Testament commandment, and Jesus just lays it on them hard. I just think this is amazing. He says, they're like, what's the best commandment? You know, it's like, what kind of bear is best? He's like... Can God make a rock so big he couldn't lift it? Jesus is like, oh my gosh. He says, love the Lord your God. Love people. We heard last week that Jesus doesn't lower the bar for our righteousness, right? He raises it and he does it again right here. He takes the first commandment and expounds on it. He's like, use your heart. Use your your soul and and your mind. Love God with everything you have, your strength, your intellect, your musculature. Your innermost being should treasure God. He really raises the bar. Again, he always does that. And, And furthermore, the first commandment really unlocks the other nine commandments. Think about it. Which commandment is about faithfulness in marriage? And if you went to Awana, you're like, number seven, you shall not commit adultery. But if you have no other gods before the one true God, you're not going to run around on your spouse, right? Because you're going to put to death the false gods of lust and infidelity and unholy desire. Which commandment is about telling the truth? (laughs) Obviously, it's number nine. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. But if you follow the first commandment and have no gods before the one true God, you put to death the false gods of approval and position and power and being liked. You see, we learned last week that Jesus Christ is the prism refracting the tablets of the Ten Commandments into the New Testament world. And the first commandment is the glue holding the stone together. When God says, have no other gods before me, the next nine are really just steps to help you live that out. It's all a template for grace. Okay, so one thing I'm really excited about in this sermon series, Pastor Jason is on sabbatical, And over the next, I guess, 11 more weeks, you'll have 11 more different preachers. And these guys are so amazing, and it's a wide variety of styles and backgrounds, but they're all committed to preach the word faithfully to you in Jason's absence. And and next week, one of the men I admire most in the whole world the shepherd of me as I shepherd others, the leader of my ethos community, 
a faithful friend, Ryan Salhavy, is going to preach to you. And he's going to go into the second commandment, right? Have no idols. And you're like, well, that sounds a lot like the first commandment. Oh, it is. And so we had a little, little meeting. And we decided that, like MJ, you know, we're going to alley-oop this, okay? So next week, Ryan is going to go deep into what it means to deal with the idols in our hearts. He's going to help us diagnose the false gods that we worship in our lives He's going to empower us to put to death all the false kings we've put on the throne that rule over us. And if you never heard Ryan preach, you are in for a treat. Don't, don't miss it next week. I know it's Valentine's Day, right? All you single people, I know, I know. You should still come. Come on. But don't miss it because it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. But what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the reasons we have to worship God alone, that, that we have no other compelling option, that we absolutely must pour all of our affection on him. And then next week, you're going to get even more ways to apply this to your life. And if you keep coming, if you keep coming, you're going to see that these things just build. And we just see the paint-by-numbers come into focus, okay? So, I offer you a simple thing. I offer you three reasons we must worship God alone. If you're a note taker, I got your back. Our God is holy. Our God is faithful. Our God is loving. It's as simple as that. Our God is holy. Our God is faithful. And our God is loving. God gave us the first commandment as a key to unlock the riches of his grace because he knows he's the only God who will bring joy and peace. He's worthy of our praise and jealous for our affection. And I I think we have no option when we encounter him but to respond in worship. So let's dive in. We worship God alone for he is holy. Look back at the text. I know it's a short one, so just, just keep it. Verse 2, God begins his address to the Israelites like this. I am the Lord, your God. What an introduction. You know, my three-year-old has a similar introduction. It goes like this. Hi, my name's Eli. I like to eat. What is your name? (laughs) I'm not, you can't make this stuff up. No joke. And God's like, hi, I am the Lord, your God. And those words, I am, are loaded. It's an impressive introduction. It's more impressive than... John Smith, Ph.D., or Jennifer Smith, M.D., and even more impressive than Peyton Manning, Q.B. (laughs) Even more impressive. What a name. And in fact, earlier in Exodus, Moses encounters God for the first time. And God's like, get those shoes off, Moses. It's holy ground. Moses is like, who am I going to say sent me? Tell him, I am sent you. He's like, "Ah, is that one word? See, God is holy. Even the ground around the burning bush became holy. It's just amazing. What does that really mean, though? We say that word a lot. Like, we sing it all the time. We're like, holy, holy, oh, what am I singing? It's a weird word, because, like, none of us is holy. It's a strange concept. So I'm going to offer you an explanation. There are a lot of explanations. I'm going to offer you one 
simple definition of what it means that God is holy and why I think we should worship him alone. God is holy because he is both sovereign and good. God is holy because he is sovereign and good. Our God, the God of the Bible, who manufactured the heavens above and paints Bob Ross style stars in the sky, he's all-powerful, he's sovereign, nothing is beyond his strength, nobody's beyond his grasp. Our God is sovereign, actively working in creation all the way from the beginning. Job 38, Job and God have this really intense conversation. And God says, hey Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Tell me, please, where were you, Job? God is sovereign. He's actively upholding each of us. If you feel your pulse, thank you, thank you. Thank you. That's how you should be thinking. God is sovereign, but he's also good. He's good. We know he's good. We can trust the Bible when Romans 8:28 tells us, "We know that all things work together for good for those who love God." All things. That means all things. It doesn't mean the good things. It means the rejection letters. It means the bad phone calls. It means the ambulance trips. That's what it means. It means God is so good that he's going to take all this busted stuff, and when we get to the other side, we're not going to believe it. It's going to be amazing. God is holy because he is sovereign and good. Precisely for that reason. And what great news. If God is only sovereign, a a wicked God with limitless power, no thank you. I'll be hiding in my basement, stocking up on ammunition. But what what if God is only good? Well, then he's your grandfather. And he's really sorry that you're going through what you're going through. But he can't do anything. You might as well pray to me if God is not sovereign. You should pray to me. You have a better shot. But you shouldn't do that because God is sovereign and he is good. This duality is essential to understanding who God is. We can trust God is for us. God is with us. And like I said earlier, because of this, There is power available to us. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 1.16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why, Paul? Why aren't you ashamed of the gospel? It's power. It's power. It's real. And you access it in prayer. And you access it through God's word. While you feast on the word of God, this is like 120 proof power. It burns on the way down. This holy God is worthy of our worship. He gives power. It's what God commands the Israelites to do. It's what he commands us to do. It's what Isaiah experiences in chapter 6. I saw the Lord 
sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphim with six wings, covering their face. They can't even look at him. One called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation starts shaking, and smoke is everywhere. And what does Isaiah do? He's like, Woe is me. I'm unclean. My eyes have seen the king. That's the guy to worship. Amen? That's the God we want to worship. We want to encounter God like Isaiah did. And when we see his holiness, all we can do is respond and say, I've never seen anything like this. I've got to give everything. I've got to sell everything I own and go here. I've got to be there. In the same way, the first commandment focuses us on that God. This God on the throne is the only God who will satisfy you. I promise. Next week, Ryan's going to help you see what else you've put on the throne. But just remember that nothing else can bear that weight. The fire is too hot. The sword is too heavy. You're going to break anything you put on the throne unless it's built for that kind of majesty. Children, jobs, you're going you're to crush them if you put them on the throne. Money, sex, you're going to destroy them and they're going to destroy you. Worship God alone, for he is holy. And worship God alone, for he is faithful. Look at Exodus 20, verse 2. I love this. I'm the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God is faithful. You know, it might seem silly, but I'm actually going to go back to verse 1. I'm going to read this to you. Ready? And God spoke. Stop. What? God spoke. Big deal on the throne. Smoke and thunder. Sovereign and good God speaks to his people. He speaks. This is not deism where God like makes something really cool and then checks out and he's like on the couch watching the sitcom unfold. It's not like that. He's not checked out. He's involved actively and he spoke and he still speaks. And maybe he still speaks to you. Keep listening. Maybe you're missing the burning bush. God is faithful because he's not abandoned us. And he tells the Israelites why they can trust him. He, everybody needs a reminder. We're a little forgetful. Even Moses, right? The frogs, the blood, like level 25 snake staff, you know? Moses had seen some wonderful and terrible miracles. And even he needed reminding. We are forgetful. But God, God is not forgetful. Not when it comes to loving his people. He says, I brought you out of slavery. I brought you out of oppression. He's faithful. He walked with them by day and he gave them shade from the desert sun. And at night he gave them heat and he gave them a light. He was a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. He parted the waters. He gave them what they needed. He doesn't give up on his people. And he hasn't given up on you. 
It's not so different for us. All we like sheep, gone astray. But God, but God sent the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission to get us back. And that's the kind of God we should worship. A God who is faithful. And that Jesus Christ, he's not only the good shepherd, he's the faithful bridegroom. Like a good husband, Jesus is faithful to his bride. You know, Garrison Keillor once said, there's nothing sexier than good, old-fashioned monogamy. Can I get an amen? Love burns hot in the fireplace of monogamy. You might say Jesus Christ is a serial monogamist. Repeatedly, over and over, faithful to every member of his church, his bride. Even when lesser spouses would have walked away. And some of you are not lesser spouses. I know you've had healing in your marriage and praise God for you. You didn't walk away. And Jesus is not walking away. Love that about Jesus. And all God's saying is, you know, I want a little reciprocation. Let's DTR here. I feel like I'm doing all the work. And he does, you know, do all the work. But he wants us to respond in faith. He says, be faithful to me because I'm never giving up on you. We worship God alone because he's faithful. And we worship God alone because he is love. Sorry, note takers. I threw you a little curveball. We worship God alone because he is love. He isn't just loving. He isn't just lovely. He isn't just filled with love. He is love. 1 John 4, 8 makes it plain. Anyone who does not Love does not know God. Why? Why? Because God is love. A simple statement you've heard over and over in your life. Have you really thought about what this means? Back in Exodus 20, chapter 3, God says, You shall have no other gods before me. What is he saying? Have me. He says, take me, all of it. Have me. Me, I desperately want you, but take, take me. God says, have no other gods. I want you to have me. The gospel is the most passionate love story ever told. It's a creator pursuing rebellious children. It's a bridegroom pursuing an unfaithful wife. It's a father adopting an unlovely child welcoming them as his own. It's the continual proving, the faithful unfolding, the limitless knowing. The gospel is romantic. It's the most romantic love story ever told. And here are you and me, and we're all just caught up in it. Just looking forward to the day that tiny little bubbles pop in our champagne glasses, and we toast to our great groom. In fact, the book of 1 John we just read from goes on. It says, verses 9 and 10 in chapter 4, In this the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation in our place for our sins. We worship God alone because God 
is love. God loves his people with a never-quitting, foot-popping, all-in, weak-in-the-knees, all-consuming, sacrificial love. And, and it's, a, it's a jealous love. God's jealous for our love and affection. It's, it's the kind of thing that, like, if your high school boyfriend or girlfriend says to you, like, you should, you should run, and you should get a restraining order, and you should not DTR with them at the park. Whew. So, why is it okay if God is jealous? That's weird. Like, jealousy, it's not like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, jealousy, goodness, faith. You're like, what are you talking about, Andy? Losing it, bro. No, I'm not. I thought I was, but I'm not. Why does God want our undivided attention? How can he want this from us without being some kind of egomaniac? Well, you know, I think true love, it really wants what's best for someone else. You know, and when God says, have me, you know what he's doing? He's saying, why, why are you driving the Ford Focus? Ferrari, baby. I got it for you. God knows that he is the best thing for us and that we will be most satisfied with him God knows that he is what's best for us. It's not the stuff he gives us. It's not the answered prayers. It's him. God is the portion and the prize and the reason. God. And he wants to bless his people. This is the gospel. It's the most passionate love story in history. It's, it's better than the notebook. Okay? There's no fault in God's stars. And there aren't 50 shades of gray. There's one shade of red, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ that has joined us to our God. You feel me? God has loved us so much, and he couldn't let us go. He is loving and lovely and full of love. But more importantly, he is love. And he's pointing that super soaker full of love right at you. And he's like, come on. Come on. I, I want to be with you. I want to spend eternity with you. He's just aching to like welcome us back into his arms. And when God gets a hold of you, he ain't letting go, people. You can run. You can hide. But my brothers and sisters, I am sure that not death, not life, not angels, not rulers, nothing present, nothing to come, powers, height, depth, anything is going to separate you from the love of God. And this is the heart of the Ten Commandments. God loves his people. And he gives us a way to get all caught up in that by worshiping him alone. He wants us to live lives of obedience from our favor, from our acceptance, not for them. Not for them. Christ has already given us everything we need on the cross. This is, this is how it works, you know? The first four commandments. No other gods, no idols. Don't take his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. They help us love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. And you know, you know the back half? They help us love our neighbor. 
We honor our parents. We don't murder. Life is precious. We don't commit adultery. Marriage is precious. We don't steal. Ownership is precious. We don't lie. The truth is precious. We don't covet. We're thankful. These help us love our neighbor. There's a beautiful synergy between the Old Testament Ten Commandments and the New Testament Great Commandment. The old and the new from the same faithful, holy, loving God. And when you believe the first commandment, when, when we live it out, we unlock this grace that God has for us. We have the ability to obey his commands and be satisfied. We have the ability to fail and be welcomed home with grace and forgiveness. We're able to love God more fully and to love the people made in his image more completely. Our God is holy, and he is faithful, and he is loving, and he gives us this first commandment as the keys to unlock the doors of his grace and his joy and his peace, and he is worthy of our praise, and he is jealous for our affection, and I don't see how you could do anything but worship him alone. The same God invites each of us to repent of our sin and be welcomed into the family. He says, I want to be with you. I want to have that relationship. He invites us to welcome Jesus Christ as our true Lord and King, to take everything else off the throne and to live a new life, to put to death everything you were that you hate about yourself and to start afresh He invites you to the table to feast on his love and worship him alone. You shall have no other gods before him. Let's pray together. Oh, my Lord, you're so good. You're so good sometimes. Been a hard stretch, God, but you really kept me going sometimes through your people at this church, through your word, through the grace I felt as we sing these songs and as we hear preaching, as we pray. Thank you, Lord, that you're so good. God, I ask that you would help me, help my brothers and sisters here today to believe that you are the only one worthy of being on the throne. Help us to believe that you are holy, that you are good and sovereign. Help us to trust you, God, that you are faithful and you will always come through. And God, help us to know deep in our beings that we are loved by you, you who are love. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. Help us to love you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.